Have you ever been so busy and, and your day just going so fast that you forgot to eat lunch? Last week I had one of those days and that morning I had meetings and I was talking to people and getting this done and getting that done. And I was walking down this main hall and I thought, man, I'm feeling kind of hungry, you know, just because I don't miss a lot of meals. And I looked, I looked down at my watch. This is a watch. It's a mechanical device you wear on your wrist. And it's, it's, it's simply all it does is tell time. You can't tap on it. There are no apps or anything. But I looked at this watch. You can get them on eBay and, and, and vintage stores. And I noticed it was about 2.30 in the afternoon. And I thought, whoa, that's not like me to, to miss a meal. But it was just one of those kind of days. And you've probably had days like that, right, where you just get busy. You know, one of the things I love about uh, this series that we're going through with Mark is that he just seems to have this intuition, you know, of, of what to include and what not to. And that what separates sometimes, I think, Scripture that's living and breathing and just this accurate historical account of things that happen that's just different than, say, a novel or fiction or a movie or something like that because there's these trivial facts that are thrown in and then there are these big ideas and this theme that he kind of sticks with. And that's what Mark does um, as he goes through this series that we've been looking at from his gospel. And that was one of the things that this passage today mentions is, oh, these guys got so busy they didn't even have time to eat lunch. Here's the big idea for today's message. This message really has two ideas uh, in one. There, there are two, two main talking points today, and that's one of these is this, because I think we get so used to the ordinariness of life and the things that we see and that are tangible to us, and that becomes our reality. That becomes our reference point for what we think is, you know, I, I even had somebody, you know, just say, well, Dan, you know, no, when you get out there in the real world, um, we were talking about some spiritual things, and I was given a spiritual answer, and they said, well, you're you, you, out there in the real world, and I thought, actually, that's not the real world. Actually, I do live in the real world, and I want you to know one of the aspects of that is this, supernatural. Supernatural life, supernatural world, that is real. That is as or more real than the physical world and the other things that you encounter and that you live through. The other big idea is this, Jesus is the stronger man. Some of your facing circumstances or difficulties, illnesses, maybe the wheels have come off in some area of your life or you've gone through a crisis or a loss and, and, and it causes you to stop and you think and you wonder, wow, is this overwhelming? Am I just being tossed, you know, back and forth? And I want you to be reminded today before you leave. Jesus is the stronger man. And you'll see that uh, in this scripture. Let's read a couple of these uh, verses together um, in this chapter. And we'll, just, we'll go through some and then we'll read some so you kind of get a good idea. And let me remind you again, if you're a regular attender here at Calvary, if you will read through this scripture along with us on Sunday mornings in worship when we're teaching, it's going to make so much more sense. And you're going to get it because God's already had a chance to kind of soak that up in you. And you think, oh yeah, I just read this event and I'm kind of familiar with this. So it's going to tie it together and they'll give him some time and space to begin doing something in your heart and in your mind. So I'm going to encourage you next week, 
go ahead and just read through chapter 4. Just uh, take, that, take that next little section of scripture. Okay, let's look at um, verse 20 and 21 of chapter 3. And it says this, One time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. I don't know if your family's ever said that about you. Mine has several times. Uh, but he had gotten so busy. And this, this all happened after he healed uh, this man with a withered hand. Then the news of Jesus, his ability to teach in an extraordinary way, differently than anybody had ever heard, and to heal people, that was pretty uh, fascinating, pretty amazing. Um, so, so that just started spreading all throughout the area. And people, like people today, they just began talking about it. And they talked about that, what they had seen and what they heard and what their cousin heard. And well, here's what happened. And I was there. I saw this. And all of that began to happen. And so they invite other people, people who may be skeptical or kind of cynical about that. will go, you know what? Just come see it for yourself. And people want to do that, not a lot going on in these villages, and this would have been something kind of interesting to go do and see. So it's like, come, come check this out. And there's this basic human desire. I think we all want to stop and kind of look at something that's a little unusual, or especially if there's anything that we think might be supernatural uh, about an event or what's happening, especially when people are getting set free from their bondages of sin and disease and their, their looks, they, because our hearts lean into what is hopeful. What is hopeful? I think that gets our attention. And I was reading this passage this week, and I noticed that twice, once in verse 7, and then again in verse 20, Mark tells us that this was a diverse group of people that were coming uh, to see Jesus. You had Jewish people, and you had people from this town and from that place, and you had these Gentile people, and you had just all kinds of different backgrounds represented. They were coming from everywhere just to see Jesus, just to see Jesus, because he spoke differently. They had been hearing preachers and teachers and influential people and all of that their, their entire lives. But this guy, there was just something unusual. It wasn't like when the Pharisees spoke or when the scribes were teaching. It was something different. There was this supernatural authority in his voice. And his words spoke deep into their hearts. You ever listening to something or reading something and maybe, uh, you know, a line from a book or maybe something that's spoken or even a conversation with a friend, there's a sentence that just kind of jumps out or maybe comes back to your mind later because it just seems to relate or resonate with you. Jesus spoke in a way that everybody listening would go, wow, I think this is just for me. And it's like he sees right into my heart and my life and my situation and where I am. And he speaks this healing into our hearts. Before this, in verses 13 to 19, Jesus is putting his team together. It was 
you know, first round draft choice and Jesus goes after, you know, this eclectic group of guys. And we said, this is really unusual. We noted last week, this is different because 99% of the times, that's just not the way this worked. The way it worked then was that a student, somebody had kind of risen up through the ranks and, you know, they really are first round draft, you know, they are first scholarship, they're at the top of their class they pick a rabbi and they follow him around and sort of attach themselves to that person. Jesus did this backwards. Nobody had done it like this before where Jesus chose who would follow him instead of the other way around. So Jesus picks these 12 guys and they're just really different and there's going to be some, one in particular, he's going to be hugely disappointed with and then some are going to just just do incredible things in their life and this absolutely changes the tide Uh, But he's got this team put together because it's time. The time for God's people to be rescued and to be redeemed and everything they had thought about and dreamed about was now a reality. It was happening right in front of them. And this was beginning to take place. God in the flesh was literally walking around among his creation. He's living with people. He's teaching. He's freeing them. You know, setting folks at liberty uh, from, from the penalty and the powers of evil that they had never been able to overcome. And they had tried, just like we do, all these different ideas and schemes and, you know, well, maybe if I get on this plan or maybe I'll try this discipline or I'll work it like this and just always trying to crank that out and coming up short. God had a solution for that. And it's, you know, we say, you've probably heard this phrase or even used this phrase, the plan of salvation. Well, let me share with you the plan of salvation. I don't know if you ever stopped to think about that, but it was a plan. And this plan is coming uh, to fruition. It's this moment that had begun all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. And they had been waiting and watching and following all this time. And now, now, at this moment, it's set into motion. Everything begins. And this is an exciting time in Scripture. Again, I mentioned, you know, earlier that um, I really like the way that Mark will include just enough detail, but he moves really fast. If you want to get more Uh, behind the scenes or background to this, you can go read Luke. You know, he includes some details. He goes, yeah, well, let me tell you a little bit more about what happened that day. Or Matthew would include some things and say, well, from my point of view, the way I saw it, and it's almost as if uh, all of us, let's say, or say four of us, were at Kingston Pike. Maybe we're down in front of Western Plaza or right here in front of Calvary or uh, down at Nayland, and we're standing on four different corners. And there's an accident uh, right there in the middle of the intersection. And we all see it. But you're standing on the north, south, east, and west corners of, of that. And the, and the police show up and they say, well, can you tell me what happened? You see, each of us will tell an accurate version, but we're going to tell it from our view. And this is the genius of God in saying, you know, I'm going to give you a good full picture of the life of Jesus from four different personalities and four different viewpoints. Mark's viewpoint is, hey, I don't got time for that. I got to write this fast, and I'm not going to, you know, give you a lot of detail. I'm going to keep this 
moving. And so that's what he does. He keeps the story moving, and he tells this, but he stops to include this little detail. In verse 20, he says that even when Jesus went back to his house, the crowds kept following him. You know, it's just, it was relentless. They weren't going to let this guy go, and Jesus gets up. And one time, he's, he's being pressed so close to the shore that he has to deal with these, uh, these pragmatic issues, you know, these logistical things. He's, and he tells one of his guys, hey, look, we got to get in a boat because they're just going to keep pressing on me, and I can't move. I can't, I can't talk. You know, we've got, I need some more room. And at this point, it's like, you know what? I'm really getting hungry. Let's go back to the house and get something to eat, and we'll take a break, and then we'll start back up. And the crowd's like, nah, I don't think so. We're going to just go with you. And so they follow Jesus. They get back to the house. He and his disciples are kept so busy, and they're teaching, and they're healing. They're casting out evil spirits. They barely had time to eat. This was a hectic, busy uh, time in the life and the ministry of Jesus. And Mark had this remarkable way of sharing Jesus' story uh, that includes those little tidbits, those little pieces of information. When Jesus started healing people and casting out demons and he pulled together this discipleship team, Satan knew that his power, his influence, his kingdom, if you will, was in trouble. I think he fully understood the prophecies. He had watched events unfold. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipotent, but he's pretty smart. And he can figure things out, and he can look and observe and go, well, it's pretty obvious what's happening here. And he knew exactly who Jesus was. In fact, all of the demons knew who he was to the point where Jesus had to stop in this section and say, look, I need you to come out of that person but stop saying what you're saying. Stop telling people. It's not time yet. I'm not ready to be revealed. And I sure don't want to be revealed as Messiah by demons. He said, I want to be in control of that. And I'm going to unfold that in the way that the Father has planned. But they knew who he was. And they never argued. In fact, the people who pushed back, all the religious leaders who pushed back against Jesus. And they said, well, he's, he's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's doing it on a Sabbath or he's doing this. But they never denied the fact that he was doing it. They couldn't help but see, you know, it was obvious and everybody was there and there's all these eyewitnesses. So they never argued that point. They just said, well, you're not doing it the right way. You know, that you're doing something good, but we don't like the way you're doing it and, and where you are. So Jesus is healing people. Satan knows I'm in trouble. This is in trouble. Uh, this is going to be the solution. I can see what's coming. And, and that's part of the message uh, that Mark shares here. It's also... And I'd like for you to kind of maybe make a mental note of this. This is a reminder to us that we will, just as Jesus did, that we too will face some battles. And one of the things that you'll see as we step forward in the next couple of minutes into this passage in, in Jesus and what happened to him is the response of the people around him. When I first began to walk with the Lord, some people were delighted. My Christian friends, some of them I'd been hanging out with as long as for a couple of years, and I'd noticed there's something different about their life. I don't remember a lot of what they said. We would get into these debates, and I would ask unanswerable, irrelevant questions. You know how you ask those things, trying to trip somebody up or gotcha, you know? And, and so I was asking stuff like that. Because really the Holy Spirit was beginning to speak and to work in my heart in a different level. And I did notice 
particularly with a few of, of my friends, there was a different quality of life. There was a peace. There was a purposefulness and a confidence. Uh, th th there just seemed to be this rhythm to their life and this depth that I didn't have. And I couldn't put my finger on it. I wasn't sure what is it that's different about this guy than is different about me. But as I went forward, I began, it, 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 all the roads, every thread led back to Jesus. That was the only thing I could see different. We lived in the same town. Uh, we went to the same schools, ate the same food, had the same jobs, drove the same kind of cars and all of that. The only thing that was different was the presence of Christ in their life. So they were really excited when I said, you know, I want Jesus. I want to be a Jesus freak. I, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. And when I jumped in, I jumped in. But other people were disappointed. Other people were annoyed and didn't like it, didn't think I was making uh, the right decision. My dad stood in the doorway of my bedroom, and he said, you're making a big mistake. One day, he pulled the truck over on the side of the road, and he said, I just need to talk to you a second. He said, you know what a fanatic is. He said, well, you're a fanatic. You've just become a fanatic. I said, well, Dad, this is just my life, and Jesus is just so real, and I'd love for you to know this. And, and I was, and I've shared this before, I was being a little obnoxious about it. You know, I mean, I was leaving open Bibles on his chair, and I was, you know, leaving tracks in his car and stuff like that. And, I mean, I was just relentless. I was just going after him all the time and other people in my life. And I, and I realize now, probably could have been not subtle, but a little more discerning about how I did that. But I was talking about it, and I was trying to live that and lean into it and figure this out because it was all brand new to me. Uh, and and there's, you've got all these kind of people. And as you go forward tomorrow, when you go back to class, when you go back to work or in your neighborhood or even with your own family, maybe your immediate family or extended family, and you begin to speak about these things, you're going to become a voice of influence. You're going to make a difference. And if you just simply do that one thing, you speak up, and you find there are these moments that as you're talking, this authority that, that was mentioned several times that Jesus seemed to have, you will have that authority. If you speak up. I know it's intimidating. And I know it's hard to lean the conversation in that direction or to, to bring up Jesus at lunchtime or over a cup of coffee and say, well, you know, what happened with me? And, and there's that feeling that you get, and you think, wow. But once you step into that, and, and you begin to move forward, something begins to happen. And there's this freedom, and there's this rightness about it that you begin to sense is going on. So I'm going to encourage you to take that chance. But I also want to tell you, you know, and just to let you know up ahead of time, some of you have already figured this out. Not everybody's going to like that. And they're going to say things about you, or they're going to say things about Jesus, or they're going to, you know, all these different things. And when I was on the other side of that, I was one of those people. And I remember several times, a couple of times come to mind specifically where I actually made fun of my friends, and I was real sarcastic, and I said things that now I cringe when I think, oh, did I really say that? And kind of laughed and mocked them. Uh, you know, and that, and that comes, comes back, and later you think, wow, that guy's saying this to me, but I used to be saying those things. 
You can be the one that God uses to make an incredible difference in the lives of your friends and family around you. But you, you have to speak up. You know, I, I think you maybe want to think, uh, or I, you know, sometimes I've thought, well, if I just do good things and I, and I do this and they see my life. Yeah, but at some point you've got to vocalize that. It has to be verbalized. Well, Jesus is doing that, and he gets criticism for it. And he gets misunderstood, and he gets misquoted, and people get the wrong idea, and they go, well, here's what I think. I just got to tell you, heads up, they'll do that with you, but it's absolutely worth the difference that you're going to make. Okay, so, uh, so we're going to have integrity, and we're going to lean into that, and we're going to begin speaking up. And Jesus reminds us in the midst of that, that we're living in the realm of the supernatural. And I don't know where you are on the scale, you know, of how much you, you believe and you think, nah, it can all be explained by physics or mathematics or science in some realm or in some way, or, you know, but we live in as much a supernatural world as we do in a physical world. And Jesus, these extraordinary healing powers were clearly operating on a supernatural level. He was doing something totally different off the chain. These healings and casting out of demons were something that was way beyond the ordinary events that happened in the physical world. And the people had never seen anything like this. You know, they're watching this guy going, oh my goodness, look at that. I know this guy. And I know he's been sick or he's had this situation because I've known him for a long time. I know it was real. Uh, and now that's changed. I have no explanation for that, except that it was supernatural. So Jesus is doing something. He goes way outside uh, physical science and medical treatment of that day and really in ours as well. These evil powers that, that Jesus exposes and they're working against him were demonic in essence. Okay, in their essence, this is demonic. And if that was true then, you need to know that's true now. Not everything is demonic. You know, we go out in the parking lot and you're looking around cars to see if a demon's going to jump out at you or in the bushes or in the tree hanging out your bedroom window. Uh, under your bed, you think, I think that maybe there's a demon under there, maybe. But um, it could be just your little brother. Um, but there is this demonic presence that'll be working against you. And you need to know that's a real thing. That's a, real, that's a real thing. And we have to understand that humankind has an enemy, whether that enemy is recognized or not. You know, we can be in denial of that, or we can downplay it, or say, well, that was kind of medieval, wasn't it? You know, because now we can explain all of that away. Maybe it was, a, you know, it was a mental emotional thing. Not necessarily. Could be, but it could be demonic as well. So these powers are working, and Jesus uh, is confronting those head-on. And whenever you do that, there's going to be some kickback to that. And Jesus is even targeted by his own friends and family. And that's something you might not expect or you might not see coming because you think, well, everybody's going to like this. But look in verse 21. It says, when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. And they, they, they kind of look over to these other people that, because they're just extremely embarrassed by the whole thing. You know, they're, they're, they're embarrassed and they're a little humiliated that, that Jesus is acting out like this. And they go, you know, he's out of his mind. 
excuse us. He's just kind of gone crazy here. We're going we're gonna to take care of him. We're going we're gonna get to him, get him away. It says they restrained him. I don't know what, your, what word your version uses, but that verb is really one word, restrain, and it literally means to hold on to or to arrest. When you're arrested, when you're turned around, you're pushed up against the car, and they put your hands behind your back. There's a memory. Now, um, uh, they, it, it, then you're restrained. You need to restrain him. You need to restrain. It, it's like when I have a border collie, and sometimes, especially this time of year, wow, the only way to bathe her is to put her leash on her and get in the shower with her. You know, she hates it. I hate it. It's small. And we're in there. It would be a great YouTube video because I'm, you know, and I'm just like, I don't like this any more than you do, but we got to do something. And, and we're just, I restrain her. You get the idea? His family, his family is trying to restrain him. I mean, you know, that, that must have hurt. I mean, they've known Jesus his entire life. For 30 years, they've known Jesus. He has never sinned against them. Can you imagine having a big brother like Jesus? How many times Mary turned to the others and said, why can't you be more like your brother Jesus? He's never done anything wrong. He never gets in trouble. He makes straight A's. He's, you know, be like Jesus. They're just looking at Jesus like, seriously, dude, you're killing us. You know, we, there's no way we can keep up with you. But they always knew how good Jesus was and how sincere and the, the purity of it just came through. There was nothing hypocritical. There was nothing self-righteous. There was nothing weird about it. But now in this moment, after three decades of knowing that guy, they turn. You may be surprised when that happens to you, but it could. It could. Some of your friends, some of the people that hung, have hung out with you, and they know you and they trust you. Jesus' family restrains him. Because they could not get it in their heads that Jesus is no longer just a nice guy, blue-collar construction worker. But now he is a powerful, loving rabbi who is preaching and healing and casting out demons. I mean, this guy that they've known, and he's suddenly this powerful person and all eyes, all attention is centered on Jesus. And then they couldn't understand why Jesus just couldn't be cool about it, why he couldn't be subtle about it. Oh, no. Jesus, you know, he takes on the Pharisees, the scribes, the Herodians, and the religious leaders. Why, Jesus, would you do that? Wouldn't it be best just to leave them alone and just to not mess with them? These are influential people who knew what they were doing. This is their area, their niche. And they're powerful. And they don't like it when people tinker with or challenge their authority. And they had grown up there. Everybody knew each other. So his family and his friends think, Oh, Jesus, you have crossed this line. And now you're a fanatic. You're just, you were doing okay, but now you're fanatic. And they have seen the trouble that John the Baptist got into, and they know, Jesus, you're going down that same path. We saw what happened to him, and you're going to get in the same kind of uh, trouble for yourself because you're stirring up a hornet's nest. 
And it's not just one that would destroy him, but it would taint the family. You know, his family's going to, yeah, aren't you Jesus? Uh, yeah, but, but uh, about Jesus. I mean, you know, you've always got that one person in the family, right? And they, they, are you here? We were moving um, students in, and I have an uncle who's infamous in some of his activities and behavior and things that he says and does. And so we're moving people in uh, on Operation Contact Day, and I noticed that the license tag was in the same county. And I said, hey, do you by any chance know this guy? And he stopped what he's doing. The dad of the student just stopped what he's doing. He looked at me and gave me the stone face. He said, yeah, I know him. I didn't say another word. I thought, yeah, I just wondered if I'd heard of him myself, but I don't know him. I don't think. That's what Jesus' family's doing. They're going, yeah, Jesus, yeah, he's my cousin. But you know, the thing about Jesus is, you know, he's, he's kind of always been a little different than everybody. And so they pull back from Jesus at a time when he needs support and he needs people around him. But it was kind of for their own protection as much as it was anything else. So they just decide, you know what, Jesus is crazy. He's just gone crazy. And the more they talked about it with one another and the more they kind of built that up, the more true in their minds that perception became. Here's the thing. Satan knows that if he can get the people that are closest to you to get you to doubt your faith, your call, even your own mind, your own sanity, it won't be long before those questions begin to, to rumble up inside of you and you quit or you pull back. And you think, maybe I should at least just stop talking about this because, uh, you know, this is, this is just not going the way I thought. And, and you'll begin to question yourself. And you'll begin to question, you know, is Jesus really, is the Bible really, is God really, because of those voices around you, particularly the people closest to you that you love the most and that love you the most. So you're going to have to develop discernment. You know, and later Jesus would, you know, they would say, Jesus, your mama's out here and your brothers, they want to talk to you. And Jesus is like, who, who is my mom? You know, if you're, you're my brothers and sisters too. You know, and Jesus was discerning their intent and any kind of agenda that they have. And you have to do the same thing. Because Satan will also attempt to use those who should be at your side. The people who should kind of rally around you and support you, your peers, but they won't always do that. When the family attack didn't stop Jesus, and that was, you know, that was this moment where he realized even my own family's not going to back me up. Satan used another attack. He got the scribes on his side. These are the authorities. These are the religious leaders. Everybody listens to them. When you had a Bible question, when you had a problem in your life, you think, well, you know, I'm going to stop by and ask the scribes what they think because they're always so helpful and they know this. They just know this so good. So Jesus kind of gets in opposition. And who, who are these people? When you hear that, you know, maybe in your Bible class, sometimes you've heard the scribes. What are the scribes? What does that mean? Well, I want you to think for a moment in the Old Testament, uh, the scribe Ezra. Do you remember him? Ezra was seen as a man who's real esteemed for his wisdom, his knowledge of the scriptures. He's real close, has this intimate relationship with God himself. The New Testament scribes 
were people who spent their entire lives every day just studying the Torah, studying the writings, the poetry, the prophets, all of it. And they were experts. I mean, they knew this. They were responsible for making sure that any new copy of Scripture uh, that was done, that it was done with precision and complete accuracy, or they would just destroy the whole thing. They would proofread this, and they knew it backwards and forwards, every detail about it. Most of the scribes were Levites, which meant not only were they experts in the Scripture, but they were the ones who led in worship when you'd go down to the synagogue. You see how this was all just inundated, and this was, you know, in, in anything spiritual, anything religious, those were the people that you went to or you had to go through. So if anything were going to happen in your life that were going to be taken seriously spiritually, you needed the backing. You needed the stamp of approval of the scribes. And not only did Jesus not have that, he didn't go around them. He didn't just ignore them. He just plowed right through. Uh, and, and who better to attack Jesus and to question his authority and to challenge him than the scribes? Because that's who everybody had confidence in. I don't know, because all the scribes are against him. And my whole life, this is who I've listened to. This is who helped me and guided me and taught me these things. And Jesus is so radically different. I don't know. Do you see how this sabotage, from the very beginning of his ministry, he was sabotaged by all these people around him because he's not part of this sacred inner circle of people. And they were saying, well, he's not really a real man of God. He's not one of us. He didn't, you know, in fact, we think he's just the opposite. He's a counterfeit. Uh, this Jesus is, in fact, a person we've kind of talked about this. We think he's full of the devil. We think that's how he's actually able to do all these things. So they threw out this theory, this idea that kind of made sense uh, to them. They said, well, you know, the only way that Jesus could do all these things, you know, they said, just think about it. Miracles, exorcisms, is if he is actually in league and they go straight to the top. They named the prince of demons Beelzebub. I mean, this guy's foul. He's over garbage and trash and darkness. I mean, he's like the king demon. And they said, you know what? He, we think Jesus can do this because he's hanging out. He's, he's getting all this from Beelzebub. Uh, the, the, the worst of all. He's a fake and he's a devil. He's a fake and he's a devil. And the verb... In verse 22 and 30, it says, they were saying. The scribes were saying. That's written in a tense. It's the imperfect tense. So what that means was, he didn't just throw out the idea, well, you know, it could be that Jesus is a fake and that he's a devil. No, they kept saying it. This was an agenda. This was just constantly being said in every opportunity they had, every chance they got. Do you ever have people in your life and you feel like every time you turn around, there's something negative coming back? Or there's something that's being said about you and you think, I don't, that is not true and there's a misunderstanding, but it just kind of spills out of control and it just gets repeated. And then that gives it power and momentum. 
that's what was happening against Jesus. The remarkable thing about Jesus is that he doesn't lash back. I started thinking about that because I think, well, when people talk about me or when they attack, you know, some, what's your tendency? Oh, yeah? Would you know? And you say something about them. Or you'll defend yourself and then you attack that person. And so, well, they probably didn't tell you this, blah, blah, blah. And then, and then it just escalates things. What if... Just what if we stopped before we got all emotional and tried to consider what is it that that person has been through? What, what is fueling them to bring them to that place of bitterness or resentment or just the fact that they love to talk or to gossip or to slander people? You know, and just to think about that for a moment. Jesus takes a different track. Instead of just lashing back going, you know what, let me tell you about these guys. He takes time to show them their own irrationality. He makes this attempt like, look, think this through. It doesn't make any sense what you're saying. If Satan were to cast out his own demons, then he would be committing civil war. And the end of his forces would be defeated just I mean, that much quicker. My grandsons were playing basketball. Their season just came to an end. And we played a team a couple of weeks ago. And there was this guy on the other team. I say he was on the other team. He was kind of like on everybody's team. And, you know, we'd be coming down. You know, he's come down. And he would pass it off to one of our guys. Thank you. We'll go the other direction. Or he would rebound and give it to us. Or he would, you know, he would let somebody shoot and he would box out somebody from his own team. And I think that, you know, and his coaches were trying to be so gentle, like, no, no, you don't give it to them. You know, you don't give it to the other guy. You keep it on our team, you know. And that's kind of what Jesus is saying. Look, if I'm a tool of Satan, why in the world would I be casting out demons? and healing people, and preaching the message that God, the creator, is the only God, and that he loves you. Does that make any sense in any possible way? And this kind of leads us to Mark's main point of this section, and it's this. Jesus shows us that he is the stronger one, that he is more powerful than Satan. He is more powerful than the demons. And I know that in the darkness and when the whispers come and when you're tired and when you're sick and when you're defeated and you're depressed or you're being attacked and it looks like there's no strength in you. Instead of going to your flesh and trying to fight back out of your emotion or whatever is your go-to behavior and position, just go deeper into Jesus. Because Jesus is stronger than whatever it is even that you're facing. And I say that with as much authority as I can muster. And I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what kind of relational issues you're battling. I don't know what your finances look like. What kind of illness. What the doctor's report said. I don't know any of those things. All I know is this. Is that Jesus is greater. He is stronger. And so just... Let that push you, not away from God, but deeper and deeper into Jesus. Not into your own abilities and, and your strength and your flesh, because Jesus is stronger. Jesus 
takes this opportunity not just to discredit all the lies that are being shared about him, but this is the moment when he's going to begin to reveal who he really is, his true identity. Jesus the carpenter. This is that moment where Clark Kent, you know, pulls open the shirt and there's that big S or whatever that symbol really is, you know, and he's Superman. Jesus is showing, I'm not who you thought I was. Jesus is the one who will initiate. He will trigger and set into motion and enable God's people to experience a real heart change for the very first time ever. Jesus is the one who's come to bring new life, real life, life better than worn out legalism and all the other stuff you've tried. What Israel had been looking for going all the way back to the fall was now happening right there in their midst. Genuine freedom was there for the asking. And it's here this morning. It's here for the asking. Your life, I've been set free from this disease of sin. And the repercussions and the guilt and the shame and even the consequences of it one day. Where that eventually leads. We're set free from that because of Jesus. Something that couldn't come through monotonous religion or the temple or the law or through the scribes or through the Pharisees. It'll only come into your life through the grace and the love of Jesus. I don't know where you are. I don't know if you've ever felt connected to him, if you feel now, or if you feel like you're a thousand miles away. You take one step toward Jesus, and he'll take 999 to get to you. I want to read you a scripture, how Paul processed this, and... It shows up a lot of ideas and ways and thoughts, but, but I want to show you this one scripture that's been on my mind. And I think I've read this. I told somebody this morning, I think I've read these, these two verses every day this week. And there's one phrase from it that just kind of resonated with me and spoke to me. I even shared it at staff meeting on Tuesday. I shared it at deacon's meeting the other night. Uh, because I think this is what Jesus was doing in his life and how that bleeds into you know, into our lives, and it's who we are. It's this verse. It's in First Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, and it's just verse 4 and 5. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And you know of our concern from you, from the way that we lived when we were with you. When we were among you, you know that it was real. And so that's why we just live. Paul said, our, our ministry is not just saintly words. We don't just say cliches and write things on mugs and 
you know, t-shirts and umbrellas and, and say, this is who we are as Christians, you know, we, we just put a bumper sticker on, or maybe we say grace at meals, and, and that defines who we are. Paul says, no, it was deeper than that. It was more than that, and, and you knew it. The same power that Jesus had in the passage we looked at today is embedded in your life. So when you step back on campus this afternoon, back in your neighborhood, back at work tomorrow, back in class, you don't go alone. He is embedded in you. And so tomorrow is is not just about you getting up. And my goal by even sharing this with you is not that we'll go back out and think, you know what? I'm going to try harder tomorrow. I'm sure I'm going to really try to be more like Jesus. I'm just going to crank it up and I'm going to grind it out. I'm going to be a better version of myself. How many times have you tried that? And been so disappointed and so disillusioned and failed and you come home and you've just got more shame and more guilt until you reach the point where you think, you know what? This just isn't working for me. So you're going to do one of two things. You're going to fake it. <laughs> I'm just going to fake my way through and just say the words, or I'm just going to abandon it. I'm just going to walk away. Listen, I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. Stop trying to live for Jesus. And let him live in and through you. Makes all the difference in the world. So our call... What I prayed about last night and this morning is that we would speak and that we would live out the gospel of grace all week in meaningful and in practical ways that people can see and hear and understand and they just feel and sense. As I said a couple of moments ago, it will have consequences. Most of those, a lot of those, will be beautiful. And someday people will call you or send you a note or you'll bump into them in the mall or in a restaurant and say, look, I don't know if you remember back in 2019, but when you said this to me, my whole world started shaking and you, you were an influence. Your kindness and your grace and your generosity toward me and the way you loved me changed my path. But there'll be those other voices. They'll misunderstand, and they'll criticize, and they'll talk about you, and they'll hurt you. Maybe even your own family and friends. But if you're willing to tolerate that a little bit, if you're willing to go into it with your eyes open and move forward, you will see the kingdom kindled, sparked, and something beautiful begin to unfold and promote it through you, through your life, almost without even trying. Like Paul said, you know how we lived among you. In staff meeting this week, I said, you know, people aren't going to remember your Bible studies. They're not going to remember your songs. They're not going to remember these sermons. But you will remember the way we live with you the way we live together 
years from now, that's what will make an impact. The way we live in our neighborhoods, in our schools, on our jobs, with our families. So the appeal is just stop trying so hard to be a scribe or a Pharisee or a Herodian or any of those things. And just be available and let Jesus flow through your life. And it's okay to talk about it. Let's make that affirmation that for this week, that's what we're going to do. Let's stand. Let's sing with that in our heart.